Welcome, everyone, to the new episode of the Truth and Reality Podcast. I am your host, Anthony Roman, reporting middle of nowhere. And as you can already tell by the way I'm talking, I am battling a cold with this crazy nasal congestion that I just wish I could rip off my nose. But I can't because I need to breathe. Even though right now, I barely can. So let's get into it. This past Sunday, baseball season has finished. Yankees and Red Sox in the American League had their one playoff game where the Red Sox won 6-2. Now the Red Sox will be will be facing the uh, division rival in the Tampa Bay Rays. The Dodgers and Cardinals in the National League had their wildcard game where the Dodgers won last night in LA 3-1. So this playoff set up like this for the Major League Baseball. Dodgers versus the Giants, Braves versus the Brewers. Red Sox versus the Rays. White Sox versus the Astros. So who wins? The Giants and the Red Sox was not was not predicted to win the divisions, but they did. They weren't predicted to even make the playoffs. Last year, the Red Sox were under 500. In this season, they went from like first to worst. The Giants were okay, but no one really predicted them to win their division or... Even have the wild card spot. I think before the season started, I think majority of the teams predicted, majority of the teams, majority of the people who analyze baseball predicted that the Dodgers will win the division and the Padres will win the wild card spot. And it didn't turn like that uh, out. It did not turn out like that at all because the Padres did not make the playoffs. The Giants did. And lo and behold, the analysts were wrong. So let's talk about Tony La Russa, the manager of the White Sox. At 77 years old, has led the White Sox to the playoffs and into, and he led them into uh, winning the American League Central. After 10 years, ladies and gentlemen, 10 years of not managing baseball, where his last stint was with the St. Louis Cardinals, where he won endless divisions, won a World Series, had great talent, actually two talented players, three talented players that he had 10 years ago still playing in Adam Wainwright, uh, Albert Pujols, and Yadimir Molina. The second oldest manager is Dusty Baker, who showed the world to get, who showed the world that the Astros actually have talented players that, yeah, they cheated a couple years ago with Carlos Beltran and others, but truthfully, they still had talented players. And he proved it by winning the division, even though though even though Oakland and Seattle were trying their best to win the division, the Astros showed that they were too much for them, and they won the division. So, and the Red Sox showed after a season of Alex Cora being out, he showed that he is a great mind of baseball because he came back into baseball and took a team that was under five hundred. Who basically didn't acquire big talent to uh, this offseason and had managed somehow to go from one of the worst teams last year to a, a above 500 team this year. Now let's talk about a team. Back around 2019-90, there was a team called the Oakland A's who came out of nowhere. Billy Bean, Art Howe, and others did this money ball kind of baseball and it worked for about eight straight seasons where they were not where they were always either at 500 a playoff team 
or a team that was always predicted to win, not win, but at least to make the playoffs and to be a World Series contender, but never was. And that new team actually in this era is the Rays, because the Rays don't spend money, but they're doing something in their own way that works. And it's leading them to winning games, and it led them this season to win a division by eight games over the Red Sox and over the Yankees. But, you know, because I see them as the Oakland A's of this time, of this era, I don't see the Rays winning winning the World Series. I don't even see them being a threat. You know, as much as the, the success that they had this past season, when you're a team that's like this, it's hard to roof you because it's like, you're guaranteed to be 500. You're guaranteed to be one of the top teams in, in your in the American League. But yet you're not a World Series contender. Yet you don't make the World Series. Yet you don't make the even the AL Championship on top of that. We'll see. The playoffs haven't started yet. We don't know how the Rays will, 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 will turn out for them this, uh, this playoffs. We'll see what happens. But as of right now, they look like the Oakland A's. And if they are like the Oakland A's, of the 2000s, I don't see them representing the American League in the World Series. So who am I rooting for? Well, my New York Mets are not in. There's no Cinderella, true Cinderella team, a team that that uh, that wasn't great. I mean, even though the Red Sox were under 500, it was COVID, and there's a lot of what ifs that came to a lot of different teams during COVID. You know, certain teams didn't have certain players. Certain teams had to go through what, like the Red Sox, where they thought Alex Cora was going to be the manager. And then it so ended up that because of his situation with the Astros, he ended up being fired. And the Red Sox season in 2020 just was a COVID Red Sox season. So I don't really have a team to really, I'm rooting for. But if there's something you, that I am rooting for, if anything, it's Dusty Baker. Dusty Baker is 72 years old. And as a manager, he had he's considered a Hall of Fame manager. But he's never won a World Series as a manager. So he's the, the person I'm rooting for. So technically, you could say Anthony is rooting for the Astros. Even though I don't care about the Astros. I don't care what happens to them. I root for him because this is the end of his career. And with all the wins he's had with the Giants, with the Reds, with the Nationals, with the Astros, and so on and so forth, and the success that he had in his career, he's never won as a manager. So I, I kind of want him to be one of those guys who wins his championship, gets his ring, and then he rides into the sunset. and has nothing else to prove to the Major League Baseball. Maybe that's just me, but that's who I'm rooting for. In other news in Major League Baseball, ladies and gentlemen, the San Diego Padres fired their manager, Chase Tingler, after being over 500. And I think they were over 500 at least by 18 games at some point this season. They saw in August and September that they weren't the same team. And they blew their chances of making the playoffs. They just, something happened with the pitching, something just happened overall. It just didn't make sense. A team that had all that talent, talent, to go from a team that was over 18 games over 500 to a game, to a team that finished this uh pass uh that finished the season under 500 it just didn't make any sense 
another manager that was let go this this uh, after the season was over it was Luis Rojas. Well, who was Luis Rojas? Luis Rojas was the Mets manager. He was the guy who wasn't supposed to be the manager in 2020. It was actually supposed to be Carlos Beltran. But Carlos Beltran played a part in the cheating scandal in Houston. So the Mets quickly fired him, let him go off his position as New York Mets manager, and they hired Luis Rojas, who had minor league experience, even managed some you know, games in, in winter ball. He is the son of Felipe Alou and his brother is Moses Alou, even though he, he, he says his last name, puts down that his last name is Rojas. But two seasons, two straight seasons of being under 500 didn't pull to his favor. I mean, this past season, if you actually look at it, the Mets were probably one of the most injury-prone teams in Major League Baseball. They had over 60 different players play for them. That's about two teams. That's almost... Th if you add another 10 to 15 players, you have at least three teams that played for the Mets. But in, in all in all, it was about 60 players. No team could win that way. And it showed. By, eight, by the eighth time, the 87th game happened. The Mets were... 87, no, I'm sorry. I think there was 77-7 or something like that. Then Francis Lindor went down and he and the, the team never recovered. It, it seemed that the 80 to 100 days that they were above 500 came and gone. They saw that majority of the season, the offense potential that these players were supposed to have never rose to the occasion. Guys, this didn't look like themselves. Jeff McNeil was supposed to be a future uh, batting champion, he did not look like that. Dominic Smith did not look like the same Dominic Smith of 2020. Uh, McCann did not look the same. Francis Lindor didn't look like the same until September. And so on and so forth. So he had to go. The only guy who looked somewhat like himself was Pete Alonso, the home run king of, of Major League Baseball. But other than that, hitting this past season for the Mets was just beyond horrible. We were averaging less than four runs. I felt like majority of the season. I felt like a majority of the hitters weren't hitting to the potential. I felt like we were getting no hit up to a certain inning majority of the time. It just seemed like while the pitching was doing their part, hitting wasn't doing any of them doing them any favors. So it's sad to say that Luis Rojas had to go because there is a there is a what a factor that 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 surrounds the Mets. What happens if Carlos Carrasco stayed healthy? What if DeGrum never got hurt? What if Noah Syndergaard came back when he was supposed to come back from Tommy John surgery and didn't have a setback? What if Francis Lindor didn't get hurt? Would the Mets have been 1-500, 2 maybe they would have lost a spot for lead, leading the, the division, but... Would they have stayed in terms of being in contention and potentially even having uh, beat a wildcard team and them facing the Dodgers? You know, um, the Mets have a lot uh, on their plate right now. They need new guys in the front office. They need a new manager. They have major players, major guys on their team that are going to be free agents. And it's kind of crazy. What do the Mets do? What do they do? Well, I never liked this idea, and I may even get hate from Mets fans with this next this next statement I'm going to make. But what about blowing it up? 
Well, why would I say that? Well, six straight seasons, ladies and gentlemen, six straight seasons, the Mets have lost one of their major starters in six straight seasons. This season was three. Some seasons it was one. Some seasons, whatever it was. Some seasons, the, 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 the rotation was okay. And the guys weren't hurt majority of the season, but the bullpen were blowing games. And the long story hold, we didn't make the playoffs. But six straight seasons, there was somebody hurt. DeGrum, Wheeler, Steve Matz, Noah Syndergaard, Carlos Carrasco, DeGrum two times, uh, Matt Harvey, who didn't look like the same. He had Tommy John Sergio, he had something with him that he got hurt. And when he came back, he never looks like the Dark Knight. And he's continuously tried to get back to that guy. He's still throwing hard, but for whatever reason, it's not working for him no, no more. Who cares? You could throw 95, throw strikes. So he didn't look the same. Some people w would think that that's crazy. Should they blow it up? Listen, what do you do? Because as of right now, what do the Mets do? Do they go out and offer multiple guys big contracts of making over $20 million per season? And not making it again. Now you have commitment for, for anywhere between three seasons to five seasons. And if you don't make the playoffs again, now you look like a team that's always going to be willing to spend money but not make the playoffs. You just look foolish. What do they do? Well, they're not talking about blowing it up. A lot of people say that, you know, they're still a team that could ride the ship and potentially make the playoffs. The question today is what do they do? Do they... Let go. Do they trade guys like Dominic Smith, who's not a true outfielder, and get a true uh, uh, left fielder or uh, outfielder? What do they do with JD Davis? What do they do with Jeff McNeil? Do they resign Javier Baez, who looked great after this uh, after apologizing to Met fans for doing the two thumbs down? Do they bring back Familia? Do they bring back Stroman? Do they bring back Noah Syndergaard? What do the Mets do? I don't know. We'll see. And one thing baseball season has has shown me is you got to be patient. The season is going to be done within the next anywhere between two to four weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe even two to six. But what the rally is, the truth is, baseball all season is very slow compared to baseball. I mean, compared to basketball, compared to hockey, and compared to football. There are teams that go into February who still have major holes and, and there are still players out there with major talent not signed. Because that's baseball. It's very rare that the minute that these teams get, or have a chance to negotiate with these free agents, that they get them right away, sign them to big contracts, and they're off within the next month. It doesn't happen that way. So that's one thing baseball offseason teaches you is patience, if anything. But we'll see what happens. This offseason will be interesting. There's teams that didn't that weren't great this past season that are predicted to spend money next season, like the Seattle Mariners, who were above 500, who had a chance of making the playoffs even into the last week of the season. So it would be interesting to see a team like them, who is just so close, make certain additions with it and keep a certain talent that they have, and then go into 2022 actually making the playoffs and maybe even winning the division because they added the right players. That would be interesting to, to, to see what's going to happen anywhere between the next two months.
But I saw an interesting document, ladies and gentlemen. I don't know if any of you remember 2004 Pistons and the Pacers playing a game where Indiana was actually winning the game. And then all of a sudden, Ronald Test fouled Mr. Ben Wallace. If you don't know who Ben Wallace was, Ben Wallace was this guy who was under 6'10", but he was a great shot blocker. He was 6'8", 6'9", always had an afro. And lo and behold, Ronald Test uh, fouled him hard, which led to a fight, which led to Ronald Test putting himself on the scoring table, which is disrespectful, which led to a fan thinking that he had the right to show his anger by getting a drink and throwing it on Ronald Test, which led to a full-out brawl. I don't know if any of you remember that. I didn't watch the game. I remember the only thing I remember about that day was I was at work. I was working in a movie theater and I always got off between 12 and 12:30. And I got home and Sports Center was was uh a recap for all people back then because they got animated when they did their recap for certain sports. So it was always interesting to see what their perspective and how they illustrated a recap of any of the games that happened that night. And all I, they were showing when I, when I turned on the TV was the fight. The fight. And it was just so crazy to see this happening. To see fans and, and players fight each other. You know, um, one of the... And then I, I, got, I saw this documentary called Malice in the Palace. And it played... And it gave you more in-depth of what happened that night. Who the, the Indiana Pacers were that season? Who were the Pistons? And what happened? You know, one of the things I learned about that that season was the Pacers were great. Stephon Jackson, Reggie Miller, um, Jamal Tensley, Jermaine O'Neal, Ronald Test. You know, uh, there was more players. This guy named, I think, Austin Kuzier. Probably saying his name wrong. And others. They were having a great season. This current game that they, they, they no not current game but this game game in particular, Reggie Miller was was out because of an injury to his hand. But Pacers were beating a team that went to the playoffs to the uh, NBA championship at least two times, a team that was unlikely to make the super make the NBA championship because they didn't have an elite player, because the perception in NBA is that you always have to have an elite player. They didn't really have elite player, but they had like. The guys who had the right chemistry for each other. They just worked. And this game for the Pacers was a statement that, okay, we're going to face this top team. And if we beat them and we show that we can dominate them, we're definitely NBA contenders for our NBA championship this up this season. We definitely could do something. I was about uh, 19. 19 turning on 20 this season. You know, watching basketball my whole life and you know I was a Chicago Bull fan for majority of my life and then once Michael Jordan retired that second time I just became a Nick fan so this is five years into being a Nick fan and lo and behold this fight happened now in the documentary it was very interesting it's very interesting because before you see the documentary you kind of think man if that one fan didn't throw the drink at Ronald Tess would this fight have ever happened? 
or would this would this brawl and the, the, the fight that happened with the fans ever happen? Some say no. But this documentary was interesting because Stefan Jackson enlightened fans. If you actually watch it, he said about the beginning to mid of the documentary that Jamal Tensley said towards the end of the game to run a test. If you know Ron Test, Ron Test was like the, the Dennis Rotman of of the uh, 2000s. You know, he wasn't as wild be- with the hair, the piercings, and so on and so forth. But he was a character. He was aggressive. He got under the skin of the opponents. In that game, he had a great game. But he's one of those guys that you, you you've all come, kind of come across certain guys. There's certain things you know not to say around them. Because it triggers something crazy. Either it makes them aggressive. Either it makes them emotional. Either it makes them cry. Either it makes it, it makes some kind of emotion out of them. And you learn. Don't say those comments unless you're ready for that reaction. And Jamar Tensley, for whatever reason, win, the winning of the game said to Ronald Test, you can get your foul now. Why? You're winning the game. Why would you need a foul? Why would you need to foul? Run out the clock. You just beat a, an excellent team. You just had a great game. Why would you listen to Jamar Tensley? Well, he listened to Jamar Tensley, and he tra- and the race was off. He tra- he fouled Ben Wallace aggressively. Ben Wallace didn't like it. I learned through the documentary Ben Wallace was going through crazy times with stuff uh, off the court. What I also learned about Ronald Tess, but Ronald Tess was also had therapy. He had a, a person who he went to to talk about his problems. So he was already a person that if you didn't know that person, you already know that this is a guy dealing with certain issues and he's trying to make effort to not have these issues no more or to minimize these issues or whatever is racing through his mind by going to therapy. But Jamal Tesley said it. Ronald Tess reacted with the hall foul. And the rest was history because Ronald Tess quickly walked away, didn't really fight. He was was disrespectful by laying on the scoring table. Fans kind of kind of fed off the emotion of Ben Wallace of being angry. And maybe a minute or two, maybe even less after being on the scoring table, laying down the fight it pursued because a fan in blue threw a beer at him and the fight just went crazy. Ronald Tess went into the stands. He passed the guy who threw it at him and attacked another fan. And it just kept on escalating. Stefan Jackson thought he was doing the right thing by trying to defend uh, Ronald Tess. Jermaine O'Neal was fighting. I mean, everyone was fighting. But these were the players who they, they seemed to be focusing on. You know, there was even a scene where Ronald Tess was actually walking away and going towards his bench. And a fan somehow made his way onto in front of the bench and made it seem like he wanted to fight Ronald Test. And Ronald Test thought it thought the same thing. And they fought. Where you saw Jermaine O'Neal come out of nowhere and, and, and punch the guy. And, and not really knock him out, but he punched the guy. And it just got crazy and crazy. The fans in Detroit kept on throwing drinks. There was even a scene where when they were trying to go towards the locker room, that one guy got a chair and threw it. So an investigation happened. There was an investigation that the NBA did. And there was an investigation that Detroit did. Now the district attorney, David, I'm going to say his name on Kosaka. 
I haven't seen this anymore. He did more of an in-depth, more of an in-depth uh, investigation versus the NBA because the NBA thought automatically, let's just just uh, suspend Ronald Test, Jermaine O'Neal, and Steph Steph Jackson, and just basically hurt the Pacers' season. That's what it seemed like. Even though some of them got their their suspension lowered, some didn't. It was so crazy that the fans started this. You know? I, I don't care what anybody says. Majority of the people who get a drink thrown in them would not respond calmly if a drink is thrown on them. They just won't. Some may have the great people around them who automatically know that that, that, that would trigger something and they block their, fan, their, their friends or their family members from fighting. Or there's a random person who knows, like, man, you throw that drink, there's consequences. There are going to be some either words that you're not going to want to hear from the person's mouth, or there's an action that the person's going to want to do towards you because of this. So I have no anger towards, after seeing this documentary, I don't blame the players for this. And even in the investigation, the guys, the, the investigation, the district attorney of, of Detroit, David, I'm going to say his name wrong, Tokaka, whatever. He pinpoint that it was the drink. If there was no drink, there was no brawl. No brawl, no craziness. But there was a key person that this documentary didn't really like deep dive. He wasn't even a part of the documentary. But he is the reason why this brawl happened. And that's Jamal Tensley. Jamal Tensley told Ron Ortiz to foul. It wasn't in the psyche of Ron Artest to foul. Jamal Tensley brought it out of him. So the, in, in actuality, Jamal Tensley saying to Ron Artest, you can get your foul now. If he never does that, there is no brawl. There is no foul. There is no drink. There is no suspension. This team was predicted to, to, to be an NBA championship contender. You know, and as I was watching this documentary and as I was analyzing it, it kind of reminded me of another team. Different situation, but after the situation happened, they were never the same. A team I'm talking thinking about is in 1994, the Montreal Expos were having a great season. A lot of people thought that they were, they were so good that they could make the World Series. And then something happened. A strike. And then after the strike happened, you saw the Expos get some of the players that were on their current roster in 1984 and traded them away. So the one chance that the Expos had a chance of actually winning the championship and maybe not even leaving Montreal, never becoming the going to Washington, and never being changed the name into the Nationals, would have never happened. Maybe they still would have been called the Montreal Expos and maybe... The fan base would have shown up after winning that first uh, winning that World Series, and right now we were talking about how great that team was, and we will be praising the scouts of the guys who drafted all those guys that were involved in that 1994 Montreal Expos. But the strike happened; the Montreal Expos were never the same again, and that was somewhat like this 2004 Indiana Pacers. Once this this crazy fight happened. Reggie Miller retired. Ronald Test's psyche was, 
rather than stay the course, he asked to be traded, where he eventually went, I think it was to the Kings first before going to the Lakers and winning his NBA championship. Jermaine O'Neal, who, who they kept on focusing on him for some reason, saying, you know, this was his chance to potentially winning the world, uh, a champion championship and basically being a leader. Didn't get that opportunity with Indiana. And lo and behold, it happened. Now, for me, that's what, you know, that's what happened. You know, maybe, you know, you could say Ronald Tess shouldn't be so easily persuaded to do certain things by certain comments, by certain, by any players or person. But the truth is, Jamal Tensley said you can get your foul. And the reality is the result was a hard, aggressive foul, which led to a brawl in the fight, tossing of drinks, huge suspensions. Uh, there, Jermaine O'Neal, Stephen Jackson, and Ronald Tess's image called thugs. They were called thugs multiple times by media. They were blaming hip-hop and arm, not R&B, and rap and the whole atmosphere and saying this gangster, gangster, this gangster, that. They were never the victims. They were always the suspects. When you look, when you look at what media said right after the 2004 brawl that happened between the Pacers and Detroit Pistons and the fans, they were called thugs. No, it's it's not that the fan throwing a drink was bad. It's that Ronald Tess was bad. It was that Stephon Jackson defending his teammate was bad. It was that Jermaine O'Neal didn't didn't want his friends who he considered family, to be disrespected. It, they were just thugs. And it's just so crazy how in hockey you could always see fighting happen multiple times. It, listen, guys get fight so much in hockey that they're missing teeth. You know? They get a certain like length to fight, majority of games, and then they're stopped. But lo and behold... That's my point of view, Jamal Tensley. You owe the pist you owe the Pacers an apology. You owe Jermaine O'Neal an apology. You owe Detroit an apology because that should have never happened. But anyway, with less than fourteen days before the season will start, Kyrie Irving has still not got his vaccine, but Andrew Wiggins has. What's going to happen? This upcoming season, we're kind of back to normal scenes. If you think about it before, before we talk about the Irving and Simmons situation, this season is going to be kind of, you know, somewhat back to normal scene. Fans are back in the arenas majority of the season. going to be back in the, uh, in the arenas majority of the season. 82 games will happen. More COVID testing will happen. That's the new norm right now. Let's be realistic. You, you kind of have to feel bad for athletes who don't want to get vaccinated, who got to get uh, tested Every week, maybe either once or twice a week. It's so crazy that that's the new norm, but that's our reality. Andrew Wiggins folded. He rather play than miss games. And you know, while I, I say he's being a team player by doing it, I think that if you're a person who doesn't want a vaccine, you shouldn't be forced to get having the vaccine. That's just me. But Congrats to Andrew Wiggins for putting his his beliefs aside and saying that he wants to help his team more rather than miss games. Kyrie Irving is going to miss games. This is a guy who thought the Earth is flat. He thinks right now that the vaccine is is a chip that they're going to put that they're putting in black people, even though white people and Hispanics and Asians have gotten it. 
only black people going to have chips in in Kyrie Irving's opinion. Only black people are going to get the chips, which makes it crazy that he's even saying this. At least he could have said, you know, back in the day, African-Americans, black Americans in America took vaccines and autism rose in children who took those vaccines. You know what? If that's what your, your belief is, I could ride with that because there's some proof in the pudding that that probably happened. So you could run away with it. But this COVID testing, there's no proof to anything. Recently, within the last month, uh, what's her name? Nicki Minaj said that her cousin's friend had swollen balls or something like that because of the COVID vaccine. His relationship broke, broke and so on and so forth. And that was debunked. There's no proof that this vaccine is doing any ill effects. The only thing is proven with this vaccine that people are still getting COVID even though they have the vaccine. But studies have shown those who have taken the vaccine technically uh, at times don't go to the hospital more compared to the unvaccinated and don't die. Right now, what's going to happen with Irving? If Irving is a part of your... If Irving is strong in his beliefs, the Nets have to trade Irving. Because you're going to go into the season with a missing piece. The season becomes a what if. What if Kyrie Irving played the whole season? What if he played all the games in the playoffs? Would this team have won 60 games? Would this team have finished off certain teams quicker because he was he played play with them? That's the what ifs. If he's a part of the picture... Convince him as hard as you can. If he says no, no, and no, trade him now so that you the new player you do get, build some kind of chemistry now rather than it taking about a month before chemistry is actually where it needs to be. And maybe there's going to be multiple multiple or a couple games that you guys could have won if the chemistry was there, if he knew the plays then from the beginning of the season. But we'll see what happens with them. Ben Simmons, ladies and gentlemen. Ben Simmons really doesn't want to go back to Philly. He doesn't want to go so much that he lost eight eight million wait eight point twenty five million dollars already. And the season hasn't even started yet. He's shown so much that he doesn't want to be in Philly that he sold his uh the place that he was living at in Philly already, saying, I don't want to live here and put my, put put it up for sale. Philly has to do something now. Philly doesn't replace Ben Simmons now, and they ride the ship that they're going to probably get him back. They're not going to be a top five team, in my opinion. You're losing a major piece. You don't really have a major backup that's equivalent to Ben Simmons. You know? That's my opinion. I mean, the Nets, even without Irving, could be one of the top three teams in the in the NBA they still have great backups in Aldrin and Blake Griffin is considered a back backup. But Patty Mills is not Irving. And Patty Mills is the backup. So who's the he need a, a better backup? Or now they need a, now they need to look at hope the guy who's gonna back up Patty Mills could do something for at least fifteen to eighteen minutes uh per game uh in this season. What do they do? What do these teams do? They gotta make a move soon. Because if these guys don't come, you're only hurting the team. You're not helping the team. Have one more conversation. Talk to him one more time. 
promise him, not no, don't promise him anything. Don't promise Irving anything. But lo and behold, the season's starting soon. What are you going to do? Let's talk, we'll see what happens. Let's talk football. Jalen Smith, former linebacker of the Cowboys, got released. He was a pro bowler. But with Mike McCarthy becoming the season, it seemed like that the, the linebacker that looked like a Pro Bowl player that even got elected to be a Pro Bowl player under the Chris Richards and Rob Marinelli didn't look the same. And he showed with this new scheme under Mike McCarthy, it didn't fit him, in my opinion. Other people's opinion, he looks slow. No, I think he doesn't fit the scheme. You know, one of the crazy things about the NFL, if you don't read into it, is that certain players fit certain schemes and some schemes they just can't they can't produce anything. They just look average rather than looking above average. But new scheme, I personally wanted him, uh, Jalen Smith, to be with the Met, um, Mets, with the Giants, because we lost Blake Martinez. It seemed like his seven seventy five uh, paycheck for the rest of the year is going to be signed with the Green Bay Packers. Hopefully, this makes Aaron Rodgers happy. Showing that they're making effort to improve the defense and adding pieces to be a contender. We'll see what happens there. Another all-pro, probably one of the best cornerbacks in football within the last three to five years or even more, Stefan Gilmore, who hasn't even played it one game this season, who will be available to play, I think, week six or week seven, was released. At first, the news was that he was released, and then he was traded to the Panthers for a six-round draft pick. Not even for the 2022 season, for the 2023 season. Now, this doesn't make any sense to me. If this guy is such an elite player, why are you only getting a six-round draft pick? Why not get a player that that improves something? Because there's no logical thing saying that the guy who you're going to draft in the sixth round in 2023 is going to be good. But you know that Stephen Gilmore... He's going to get off the injury list, injury reserve. He's going to help the Panthers probably make the playoffs and play a significant role why the Panthers probably make the playoffs while you guys are waiting for a six-round draft pick to develop into something that if even if that, that draft pick develops into anything, you're talking about three, maybe into four seasons away before you even see that even happening. So that's crazy. Well, no one predicted this. No one predicted that Stephen Gilmore was going to be traded. No one predicted that Jalen Smith was going to get released. No one no one uh, predicted it, but it happened. Crazy. So week four, ladies and gentlemen. Week four, Brady defeated the Pats in New England. Fans cried as Bill Belichick and Tom Brady gave a little hug like the father and son story that they had uh father son uh relationship they had or whatever you want to call it fans were crying tom brady came home but there's a crazy thing that i'm, I'm looking at in, into tom brady this season if anybody's deep diving into tom brady and what he's doing this season i mean he's having a good season but for some reason bruce arians and the bucks are having him throw f- over 40 times per season He's on pace to have to throw the most uh, most uh, passing attempts in a season in his whole career. Now I have a question. At 43, 42, 44, whatever he is, will this hurt him? 
him throwing over 700 attempts. Will this hurt him towards the end of the season? Will this hurt him in the playoffs? You know, I, I, I don't... Listen, there's one thing for a 34-year-old to do it. There's another thing for a 43-year-old to do it. I never believe, I never like the heavily passing teams. I always believe in a balance, at least a balanced offense. Run first, milk the clock. You know, your your running game, your 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 managing of the the time clock is always uh your second defense on the field cuz if you're able to to help your team your offense stay longer on their field, it also helps your opponent's offense a a, a, a a lesser chance of scoring a field goal or a touchdown. Maybe that's just me. Well, tonight, Thursday, Thursday night football, a great game is going to, is going to happen. One of the game of the weeks. Seattle Seahawks versus L.A. Seattle, yet again, has a horrible defense, while L.A. has a decent uh, defense. Who wins? Does L.A. bounce back after losing to the Cardinals? Does Seattle win the game and stop Matt, Matthew Stratford and Cup and others and holds Aaron Donald from getting a sack? What happens? Tune in today at the NFL Network and Channel and, and Fox. Another game of the week that's this time in the... In, uh, in the... Uh, in the uh, NFL is the Buffalo Bills versus the Chiefs. The Buffalo Bills' last three games have looked amazing. The offense looks unstoppable, and then the defense on top of that is even better. And they're facing the Chiefs. And ladies, ladies and gentlemen, the Chiefs' defense looks horrible. While the offense is, is doing its job, the defense isn't. So the question of the day is, will the Bills win because of the Chiefs' Uh, inability to stop opposing teams' offenses. What happens? We'll see what happens with, with that. Uh, my New York Giants, the New York Giants and the New York Jets won this won the first game, ladies and gentlemen. They won their first game. Daniel Jones is getting respect. The offensive line actually looks decent. Jamal Peppers is not playing so many games. We were missing Slayton. We were missing Shepard. Barkley's not technically rushing the way he used to, but he he received he's receiving uh receiving actually looks good. He he had a f over fifty yard uh receiving touchdown. On top of that, he had a rushing touchdown to help them win the game. Lo and behold, the New York Giants are one and three. And just recently on Twitter, Ron Clark Ryan Clark of ESPN, former player, says the Giants are the best one and three team. The New York Giants, ladies and gentlemen. If you look at the two games that they had, they should be a 3-1 team rather than a 1-3 team. This upcoming week, they're going to face the Dallas Cowboys, Jason Garrett's old team. A division rival that I think every team in, in, uh, in football in the East, so-called uh, in the NFC, want to see lose. I think every team between Washington and Philly always want to see Dallas lose. I think it's like a, a thing that brings the Giants, the Eagles, and Washington together. We just like them losing for, for whatever reason. Maybe it's just me who thinks that. 
Maybe I, I'll, be, I'll be proved wrong. But Dallas versus the New York Giants. 425 is the game on Fox. We'll see if the Giants can continue. We'll see if the, if the Giants could continue with their off, uh, offense. We'll see if the defense could can stop uh, Ezekiel Elliott. We'll see if Diggs gets another t- another interception. Yet again, it seems like this whole season, Diggs has been able to get an interception each game. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, that is my episode. This is the Truth and Reality Podcast. You can subscribe to the Truth and Reality on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. I will have an episode ready for your listening ears every Thursday. Subscribe. Follow me on Instagram. Follow me. Give me comments. Tell your friends. Tell your loved ones. Anyway, that is my episode. This is the Truth and Rally Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Roman, reporting middle of nowhere. Have a good day and even better night. Bye-bye, ladies and gentlemen.